Welcome to Practical Access. I'm Lisa Deeker. And I'm Rebecca Hines. And Becky, who do we have with us today? Lisa, I'm glad you asked. Today we're going to be talking with Dr. Samantha Merstick. We all know her as Sam. Um, and Sam is a professor at Georgia Gwinnett um, University, and she has a lot of experience to share. She has taught internationally uh, in six different countries. She's a former ELA Teacher of the Year. Uh, she did her dissertation in Botswana, and she's, she's kind of an all-round um, content expert and international expert, and I can't wait to hear what she has to share. So, Sam, uh, welcome, and, and can you give us a little overview kind of on, on where you are professionally right now and what you're thinking about sure. in our field? So, first of all, forgive my voice. I'm getting over a bit of a cold. Um, so I am at Georgia Gwinnett College, which is a part of the University of Georgia system, state system. Um, and I am teaching special education, specifically in the area of mild to moderate. Uh, we have a small program with, let's, we have right now four professors. Um, and we have two programs, one for what we call the traditional student. Although Georgia Gwinnett, we are not known for traditional students. We usually have the non-typical student, which is what makes us cool. And I'm also working with our para program. So we have a group of, a cohort of students who are paras in Gwinnett County Public Schools who are working on their bachelor's in special ed with us. And I put a lot of focus specifically on that. That's kind of my, my very cool and fun program <laughs> is working with the paras. I love them. I love it. Well, and you know, we, we've known you for a quite a, a bit of time and I uh -huh. love the fact that, you know, that's what you're doing. It's really who you are. Uh, you really are that organic person who loves to make a difference at that grassroots level. I wonder if you might share with our listeners kind of your personal journey of what got you to where you are today. And, and I'm going to, just because I know you well enough, I would love for you to share about the experience you had in being an all boy classroom. I think that's always kind of an interesting piece of sure. your story, if you don't mind sharing. Sure. So I can honestly say that I was born to be a special ed teacher, like literally, because I literally was born with a disability. So what that means is I was diagnosed with a learning disability in my first time in third grade because it was so cool I stayed for a second year and <laughs> I remembered um, I hated school I mean like not just a kid saying that I hated school it was terrible I hated going there it was boring so you know I learned that it would be really more interesting if I entertained the class and so I did and I was really good at it but the teachers didn't find me quite as entertaining <laughs> and that led to my diagnosis in third grade what I found is growing up in special ed and the time period would have been in 85 when I was diagnosed um, it was an all-male background and me and so it was interesting when you grow up in an all male background in uh, elementary school, it, you, you just have to learn what uh, classes are like and the culture is like. And that's honestly where I learned that I could be uh, more entertaining than not in classes. So 
<laughs> I went into middle and high school also in completely, I went from resource room to uh, self-contained. And in high school, I was in a completely self-contained environment. My learning disability is primarily in the area of math, as you can hear from talking to me, raspy voice or not, my communication skills are pretty good. I'm very uh, capable of reading and writing uh, above grade level. However, my math has always been about two standard deviations below grade level. And that had been consistent throughout um, elementary, middle, and high school as I was retested and reevaluated. Uh, and <clears throat> although I didn't enjoy the uh, school aspect, I was put in classes that were probably under my level for language arts. And because they were under my level, they bored me and I became even more entertaining. <laughs> and that led me to uh, my career choices later on. <laughs> and I know for you, uh, you know, having been around you for several years, you, you had a tipping point where a teacher kind of took you aside and said, let's talk. Uh, what, what was that tipping point that kind of moved you from the class entertainer to actually getting a degree and just reminding our listeners today that you somehow figured out math because you have a doctorate, a PhD, yeah. which means you had to take a few math classes to get I did. So, they made me. Yeah, they made you. So, <laughs> they did. So, so, so what was um, the point for you? When I was in high school, uh, I had a set of special ed teachers who would talk to me quite honestly about um, they pull me aside and say, hey, Sam, do you think you might be a little bit different? I mean, you seem to not have any problems in reading. And I, I just, by that point, would blow it off. I wanted to go to work. I liked my job. I didn't want to stay at school all day so I could do OJT, you know, on-the-job training and leave. So I kind of blew it off. But as I got older, I realized I didn't hate books. I had never even read in high school, my entire high school career, one Shakespearean play. Um, and I graduated, barely, and I went to community college and my tipping point was truly there. I had someone at Florida Community College at Jacksonville, which is no longer, who was in charge of um, the uh, disability services at the time. And it was him, really that said, you know, you're not too bad at this stuff. You just have to, I don't know, try to read something you like and see if you do. Turns out I liked it. And you know, Oprah was right about To Kill a Mockingbird. It was a fantastic book. <laughs> I read it like when I was in my 20s for the first time. But I started reading and reading and reading. Um, so when I uh, decided to pick a major, I went to the University of Central Florida and became um, a special ed teacher. And my emphasis was on, was in SLD, because at the time you picked an emphasis. And then I thought it was only natural to teach language arts. But the true love came from uh, the department head at Oviedo High School. She at the time said, you know, you were robbed. And I said, of what? And she said, of the best literature in the world. And you were so capable and no one told you. And so I'm an old lady who doesn't know much about SLD. 
but I'm going to say, I'm going to teach you privately my AP class. So every week, she and I would go to Chili's after work and have a beer. <laughs> and she would take her AP stuff and slowly but surely, as I was a teacher of special ed, I was learning through her privately how to teach English. You know, Sam, that's, that's a great, that's a great story and so many things about that really resonate. You know, I think any, any of us who have worked with kids with problem behaviors in particular can see exactly that, how behaviors are so often just avoidance or, you know, I would rather, I would rather look bad than stupid if I have a disability, you know, a learning disability in one particular area, et cetera. And so often in my career, I, have come across kids who just are not given, again, the word Lisa and I use all the time, access to that high level content, mm -hmm. you know? And so I, I really appreciate you bringing that to the forefront. And I'm, I'm so glad that you could find a colleague later on to help really bring all of that to life for you. So just thinking, you know, uh, there's so many great things to talk to you about, but from what you shared, can you tell us one thing you would recommend to those teachers about kids who are, you know, receiving special ed services, especially if they're in a self-contained setting? Like, what is one takeaway? I know you're training teachers now, but what's the, what's the message you want them to resoundingly hear? We hear you. We hear you. And what I mean by that is, we're pretty bright, we, the students with LD, the adults with LD. And the fact is, we can read your body language and we know what you think of us or don't. Maybe, and I, I remember when I was a kid thinking, well, this teacher is whispering about me and I know it. Mm -hmm. I can hear that. And I remember thinking as I grew up, I remember being in an IEP meeting and someone telling my mom I wouldn't graduate high school. So I always tell my students now, especially when I speak in general ed classes, we hear you, general education teacher. We get it. We're smart enough to understand. And we take that seed and Place it right back in the back of your head and you just remember it forever. I am 44 years old and remember the teacher that told my mom I wouldn't graduate high school. Yeah, that's a great point. Great and deep messages. Well, and you know, one of the things, uh, Sam, that is also unique about you is you, you have uh, found a way to travel, um, but you didn't just go visit countries like other people who go on cruises. You were like, oh, let me go teach here for eight weeks or here for 16 weeks and let me treat, you know, teach in a container if I remember right. And let me, <laughs> you know, you've done a little bit of everything. So I have two parts to this question. One is just what did you learn from that in just a short couple of statements? Okay. But what should we also be aware of when kids with disabilities come from other countries to us in the United States? So what did you learn there and what should we be cognizant of no matter where the kid is coming from? I learned, I learned a lot, obviously, but in the different cultures treated students with disabilities quite differently. Um, and I feel like... Um, 
going into the next part of your question, when, <laughs> when a student with a disability comes from a different culture, that can mean a lot of different things. And it's worth digging into that culture just a little bit as a teacher to figure out what disability means in their culture because I have found regardless of where I am, disability is treated very differently. And although um, some places in the world are becoming more Western in thought, at the same point in time, it is not always the case. So uh, I would say that if you have someone coming from another part of the world, and I'm not saying Western Europeers, but if you're coming from Southeast Asia, if you're coming from parts of Africa, it is worth, and even South America, it's worth the time to dig into that culture. Or even better yet, if you know someone who comes from that culture, dig into that. Ask them. It'd be really interesting what you might find out and how much that will impact the student that you have in your class. Great advice. Great advice. And then I'm going to move to the language arts teacher in you, you know, teacher of the year. What are, what are the best things you did or you believe you're training your teachers to do? Um, for that kid who has checked out, <laughs> to kill a mockingbird is going to kill me to read. Uh, you know, uh, I have lots of thoughts about what I can write on this paper, and they're not things you should read. You know, so what what is it that you would be your go to strategies in language arts class for that kid who's done, just done? Well, one is just an overall teacher strategy. If the kid doesn't like you, the kid's not going to do it. So personality and really knowing your students, what they need and who they are is probably number one in any class. If they don't care about you, eh, they don't really wanna write the paper quite as much. Next, if there's something they like, you can tap into that. And that's a pretty easy one too. Um, I know as a teacher, I wrote grants for magazines and I taught in Oviedo, so I had lots of magazines about trucks. Mm -hmm. um, my subscription of truck magazines were shocking. Um, oddly enough, the Orlando Sentinel, when it was still printed, my guys loved getting that. That's, that was kind of their thing. They would dig through and get the sports page. Fine, they read it. Little things like that, they would actually bring um, the postcards from magazines that they wanted to me, and I would order them for the classroom. So I had a, a, a kind of a drive where I would say, okay, everybody bring in your, the postcards of the magazines you want. Um, sometimes it would be uh, when we were reading classic literature, we would have the accommodated versions, but then we would say, okay, what does this kind of remind you of now? So in other words, it doesn't need to be old and stuffy. Because let's be honest, you can relate it to Kill a Mockingbird to the news today. And the older student, I think, I also had um, what I called the no kitty lit promise. The older student doesn't want to read middle school books. And a lot of times students with lower reading levels are being told that they have to read young adult novels, which there's absolutely nothing wrong with a young adult novel. There isn't. Um, but 
I would say if you want to read that in your reading class, cool, but we're not reading Kitty Lit here. We're reading the, the stuff that is interesting and more adult. Uh, as, as someone who also taught language arts, Sam, I, um, my, my first degree and first teaching was in that area. Those are all great pieces of advice, you know, for, for all kids. Yeah. You know, not, not everyone, um, you know, not everyone enjoys the same thing. And lots of, lots of classes can push kids harder and give more choice for sure. So taking it to the other side... And now let's think about that area that you weren't an expert in and didn't have a passion for. What could math teachers have done differently for you so that either you wouldn't have been, you know, and I don't know that you were, but you might be, might have been math averse because it's not usually, you don't love always the things that you're not great at. Right. Um, you know, what could math teachers have done differently when you were a student that might have helped shape, you know, who you were as a learner? Um, I remember as a kid, I would have to have, and probably everybody remembers this, the 50 math problems you would have to do. Mm. And prior to receiving an IEP, those 50 math problems would take about three hours every night. And that was hell. Because I also have ADHD and I can't sit for very long. And now you want me to do what? And I hate it. And then my mom is threatening my life. And it's just, it was all very terrible. Uh, so I would want the math teacher to know, do we really have to do 50? When I did get an IEP, uh, I was able to have every other problem. You know, you would do evens or odds, which is common. Um, but even that would take 25 problems. took still an hour and a half. It was a lot. So that could have made me like it a little more if I could do a little less. I still, you know, eventually got it. Manipulatives worked. I eventually got there. Um, I remember there was a high school teacher. He was a coach, a football coach. And I particularly, he was maybe the best math teacher I ever had because he did for his football uh, students a lunch he called it a like lunchtime study and he would invite everybody in including me including all of his students to do homework and regardless of what the subject was he helped and i remember thinking i'm not going to this is stupid but then i couldn't do my homework and i was not going to bring it home because i had way too many social obligations so i needed to get this done um, so I started going and then I kept going and it kind of surprised 10th grade me a lot. But now I realize this dude gave his time and it was something now that I look back as a teacher, it was nothing, but he made the effort. He went out of his way. He's the one, this football coach sat there with his book and showed me on a calculator and did it during our lunchtime and it it made a difference so you know as you think about i think that's a great point that a lot of us probably had that experience and know <laughs> kind of intuitively that it's those personal connections that keep that keep kids interested and you've alluded to that several times so my final question for you is you know as you look at what's happening right now and kids are online. So those personal connections are gonna look different. 
Um, And, you know, I think that no matter what happens, when things get back to, you know, air quote, normal, it's probably at best a new normal. What do you think is the key now to creating and maintaining relationships with kids when things may be remote? It's really, really different. And, you know, I think about it all the time because I have currently student teachers who are in the field and I'm watching them upload to a program called Go React where I'm watching their videos, their Zoom videos. So this, this is a different world. And uh, we talk about this sometimes in my classes, how to establish relationship with students when you're not with them. So one of the the things that we talk about is if you could make it special for them in some way, shape, or form, can you, you know, have a a group or just a talk with that particular student? Can you send an email or something that is personalized just for them? Can you give them personalized feedback instead of with everybody? We talk about breakout rooms in Zoom and how we can use that in teaching as well as how you can break out with different groups and talk to them in a smaller group atmosphere. Um, Technology is hard to use as a, a teacher with a class of however many. Many of my... I watched one just the other day. I have to, I'm thinking of one particular student and she's doing, tell me this isn't hard, um, kindergarten. Mm. And it is uh, kindergarten for kids with disabilities. And two of them are face to face and two of them are on Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) I'm watching her video and the kids on Zoom are squiggling all over and the kids who are in the actual class are squirming all over and she is just a pro. She's one of my para pros and she's just a pro. But part of what she was doing is making sure that the kids had her, she made sure they had her attention. Mm-hmm. I like the way you did this. I feel like, um, Oh, do you want to talk? So-and-so I, I mean, she really just spent a lot of time acknowledging them. That's great. Too. So my last question for you is, is thinking about that third grade Sam, <laughs> and um, she's, she's sitting in third grade twice, as you said so eloquently in the opening, what would be your advice to the third grade Sam sitting out there that are struggling and the advice to their parents now knowing what you know today? So to the kid, To the kid, I would say, I know it feels like you don't have this, been there. But if you could just try, if you could just take breaks, little chunks, and and infuse some exercise in it, because that's something I needed. it could really help you go far. And it's really hard when you're in third grade to look at yourself as a professional, you know, how many years later. But the reality is, I think I would like to tell myself that I know what people say, but not all of what people say are true. And to the parents, 
I would say, if you could talk to my mom, <laughs> she would tell you <laughs> it was hard and I was difficult. But um, the fact of the matter is no one, even including my mom, expected me to be sitting here with a DR in front of my name. However, there's a reason I do. And part of it was solid guidance from my mom and the fact that she was, she attended the IEP meetings. She made sure to support the teachers and be present and um, make sure that the IEP was followed uh, and learned specifically in 85 that when this was all very new, she had to learn what all this stuff was. I mean, she was a National Honor Society type. So this was very new for her. So the more you know and the more education that you have on it, the more meetings you attend, the more questions you ask is, is better. Great. Well, thank you. As always, it's such a privilege. And you, we could go on and on, maybe, maybe future podcast about each country you've been to visit. But <laughs> we really appreciate you taking this time um, for joining us. And folks, if you have questions for us, you can send them on our Facebook at, at, at Practical Access, or you can send us a tweet at Access Practical. Thank you again, Dr. Merstek, with the DR in front of your name, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Good to see everybody. Bye, Sam. Bye.